Good morning. Time to begin our services. Just want to welcome each of you here this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we especially want to say welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, there's also visitor cards in the pews if you wouldn't mind to take a minute to fill one of those out. And you could just put it in the trays as the offering uh, plates come around. And uh, we'd love to get, to get to know you better. Also, I'd like to uh, invite everyone back to our 6 p.m. services this evening. And if you haven't looked outside, uh, we had 80-degree weather in February, and it's spitting snow in March, so uh, go figure. Welcome to tri-state weather, I guess. Um, also, it's been announced a few times, but I just wanted to take the opportunity to, uh, to remind the men and, and invite the men out to the men's retreat this Friday and Saturday. And this is going to be at Howes Mill Camp. If you need directions, uh, feel free to uh, you know, ask one of the elders, or Chris or Dave, and also uh, there will be transportation provided. So if you do need a ride, just again, let, let one of the elders, uh, or Chris and David, know that. And also there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Uh, if you plan on coming, if you wouldn't mind to, to fill your name out on that sign-up sheet just so we can get an idea of, of numbers. But it's a, it's a really good time. If you haven't been before, or if it's been a few years since you've been, just really encourage you to, uh, to come out. We'll begin at, uh, have dinner at 6 p.m. on Friday. And then uh, we'll begin about 6.30 with, uh, we'll have a couple of lessons Friday night, and, uh, and then it'll be uh, Saturday morning, another couple of lessons will begin about 8.30. But again, it's just a good time of fellowship uh, with each other. And if you can only make it Friday or Saturday, uh, that, that's fine. You know, we'll love to see you, whatever, uh, you know, whatever availability you do have. And again, just encourage you to, uh, to try to make that and, uh, and put that on your calendars. Also, uh, just a reminder to pick up a Rome journal. You know, there's so many right now um, that are struggling with various health issues and difficulties, and I uh, just want to make sure that we keep each of those individuals in our minds uh, and prayers throughout the week. So uh, if you haven't done so, pick up a Rome journal uh, on your way out, and again, also have all of our uh, upcoming activities as well. Uh, this morning, Jeff Floyd will have the reading and prayer. Uh, Stephen Wallace will preside at the table, and Chad Judge will have closing prayer. But as we prepare to enter our worship services, I would like to uh, read from Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we approach you this morning, Father, thanking you for allowing us to come together as a body of believers to, to worship you, Father. We thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us as a church collectively as well as individuals, Father, and we, we thank you, Father, for your son Jesus as we remember his death on the cross here in a few minutes. We thank you for, for him, for the love that you have shown us through him, through his death, and the hope that we now have because of that. Father, we're mindful of so many that are struggling with various health issues and difficulties and we ask that you be with each of them we ask that you'd be with our time here this morning father that we worship you 
in a manner that pleases you, that we worship you as you deserve to be worshipped, Father, and that we'll grow, uh, grow stronger spiritually, Father, and we'll use our time here this morning to, uh, to help us to do that, Father. Lord, forgive us when we do fall short and sin against you, and it's through Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Won't you stand for this first song? First hymn this morning, number 19, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Number 19, sing the first three verses. <clears throat> All hail the power of Jesus' name, that Next hymn this morning, number 121, 121, do all in the name of the Lord. Again, we'll sing the first, second, and third verse, and then Brother Jeff Floyd will have our scripture reading and prayer.
Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you, Lord, for another opportunity we come to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be with us and continue to help us all. Be with those who are sick. Continue to be with those who have lost loved ones. Lord, we pray for our youth. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to be with our elders and deacons and the work they do. And pray, Lord, that you guide them. Lord, we pray that every time we have an opportunity to do good, we, we will seize that opportunity. Lord, continue to be with us, continue to be at this church. Forgive us. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. amen. Scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Next hymn this morning, number 452, Night with Evan Pinion, 452. Prostrate in the 
As we remember Christ this morning in the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read a couple passages from the book of 2 Corinthians. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What if God left his home in heaven and took on the form of a man and came to earth and dwelt among humanity? Well, for us Christians, we know that the short answer is he did. And that man was Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus left his home in heaven, the glory of heaven, to come down and live among men on earth for 30-some years. And he ended up dying and uh, rising again from the dead. And we remember him this morning in the Lord's Supper as we take the bread, which represents his broken body, and the fruit of the vine, which represents his shed blood. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, our Father in heaven, we come before you humbly this morning as we remember the gift of your Son, Lord, we're, we're so thankful for the great love that you've shown toward us, sending Jesus to die for our sins. Lord, we pray you would bless this bread and bless all of us as we partake of it, as we remember the broken body of our Savior. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Continuing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Through the death of our Lord and the shedding of his blood, he gives us the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. And we remember that shed blood now as we partake of the fruit of the vine. And would you again please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we continue our thanks unto you for the gift of your Son and for the great love that you've shown toward us. Lord, we're mindful now of that blood that was shed on our behalf, the blood of the new covenant, that we can have the forgiveness of sin and the hope of an eternal life with you one day. Lord, we pray you would please bless the cup and bless all of us as we partake of it now. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This completes our Lord's Supper for this morning. We want to take a moment now to 
give thanks to God for our, for our many material blessings. And as we think about how he has blessed us and uh, as we give back to the church uh, to continue his work, I'd like to read a passage from Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. The Lord has blessed us richly spiritually, but he's also blessed us materially as we make our way through this world. And we want to give him thanks for that and uh, pray, pray for these uh, funds that are collected for the work of the church. Would you again bow with me, please? Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we continue our thanks mostly for the spiritual gifts that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. But now, Lord, we want to also give you thanks for the material things that you've blessed us with in our lives as, as you uh, watch over us as we make our way through this world. Lord, we pray that the funds used, uh, the funds that are collected this morning would be used for the uh, growth of the kingdom and would bring you glory. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn 391. Let me live close to thee. 391. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. In the fields, I would will, sickle, pray, and fruit. In the fight, for the fight, I will bear and fruit. Day by day, in my grave.
Invitation hymn for this morning, number 768, while we pray and while we plead. 768, Brother Christian. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us today. It looks like it stopped snowing, so maybe we'll be okay. We won't get six feet of snow, right? In March. <laughs> what do you think is the most dangerous animal on the planet today? Maybe you're thinking like one of the big cats, like a lion or a tiger panther maybe maybe you're thinking a bear uh, maybe you're thinking some sort of a, a snake like a water moccasin or a copperhead or something like that maybe one of the african snakes like a green mamba what animal kills more people every year than all the other animals well i found a top 10 list <laughs> so we're going to walk through a couple of these uh, so what is the deadliest animal in the world today. It's probably not one that you're going to expect. Uh, it's almost on all the continents. It's caused millions of deaths across the world. One stat says that this animal kills someone every 30 seconds. That's phenomenal, right? This one animal, in fact, kills more than the other nine on the top 10 list. This one animal kills more than the other nine combined. It's really, really wild. And so what is this animal? Well, it's the mosquito. The mosquito kills more people than any other animal on the planet, and it's not even close. It's not even close. Uh, the crocodile is on the list. I think he kills like 100 people a year. Uh, the, uh, the, the lion is on the list. That's, that's the one I had pictured as maybe certainly near the top 10. It only kills 250 people per year, give or take. The hippopotamus is on the list. It kills around 500 people per year. The mosquito is at number one. It kills a million people every single year. It's phenomenal, right? Some dangers we overlook, knowing. I would like to see a show of hands. Who thought the mosquito was the most deadly animal on the planet? You know, like, really? 
All right, you guys are smarter than I am. I straight thought it was going to be a tiger or something. Uh, but it's a mosquito. And, and we've learned to overlook this particular danger because they're everywhere, right? You, you can't get away from these, from these things. Um, it doesn't matter what continent you go to. I think, I think they're on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, and I guess it's too cold for them there. But you can't get away from these things. They are, they're everywhere. And today we're talking about maybe the most dangerous enemy of the church. So what is, spend some time thinking, what, what do you think is the most dangerous enemy to the church? So I think you might be surprised because I, I think it's one of those things like the mosquito that we've, we've kind of overlooked because we've grown accustomed to its presence. And, and that's a problem. Um, when Kelly and I were in Africa the second time, we, we've been blessed to be able to go two times now. We love Africa. Um, we've been to Tanzania two different times, and, and we'd love to go back some point in the future. But on the second time when we were there, uh, Kelly has been working in this area called Mongari. And in Mongari, there is nothing there. There are straw huts that people have built, and then there's like this little scrub brush thing that's, that's you know, down here. And then there are goats. And that's it. There's nothing else out there. There's not any trees. There's not any buildings. I mean, there's nothing. You see the occasional straw hut, but that's, that's really it. Uh, I've been working in what you might consider a city. Um, normally we go out together, Kelly and I, but for whatever reason on this trip, uh, she's been going out to Mongary to, to, uh, to speak with people there. And I've been working uh, in the city, and we just kind of walk around and look for Bible studies, and we, we try to talk to people about Jesus, and it's the best thing ever. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing. And on this one occasion, uh, for whatever reason, I don't even remember what it was, but I, I get to go with her to Mongari, and we're going to have a Bible study with some folks out there. And the, the van that we're riding in drops us off about two miles out. And so we're going to walk through the bush, through the bush for about two miles uh, to get to our Bible study. No big deal. We start off walking. We get to the study. Everything goes great. Fantastic study. Open hearts. People are receptive. We start leaving. And we've got, a, we've got an interpreter with us, of course, because we don't speak Swahili. And so we've got an interpreter with us. And Kelly looks down and she sees this print in the mud. And she says, looks like a big cat print. Is that, is that a lion print? And our guy says, oh yeah, that, that's, that's a lion print. And all of a sudden, my ears have become attuned to the conversation now because I'm a scared of lions, <laughs> like any reasonable person would be. And so <clears throat> I say, oh, it's a lion print. Huh? Are, are there lions here? He says, oh, yes, there are lions here and here and here. So what you're telling me is we're surrounded by lions. And he says, oh, yes. He had become accustomed to the threat. And he wasn't, he's got a pistol as his sidearm, but... What good's a pistol going to do against a 350-pound lion? It's not a lot, right? And so he's become accustomed to the threat. He's not scared. I'm not accustomed to the threat of lions. And so my ears and my eyes, I'm, I'm searching the, the bush the entire rest of the trip. Until we get back on that bus, I'm on high alert, right? Because I'm not accustomed to that particular threat. There's a threat in the church Today, there's been a threat in the church since the first century, since its inception. There's been this threat in the church that is, I think is the most dangerous threat to the church today. 
We're in Acts chapter 5. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Acts chapter 5. You get to meet a couple today named Ananias and Sapphira. They are members of the Jerusalem congregation, um, along with 5,000 of their best friends. Uh, the church has been growing by leaps and bounds uh, since its inception. Last week we got to meet uh, some Jewish authorities, uh, this high priestly family, the ones that's in charge of Judaism. These guys are setting uh, the rules. They're, they're really practically leading the Jewish faith at this point, this, this high priestly family. We, we got to meet them last week. And last week they, they really started uh, tuning up the heat on the church. Up to this point, the church has been growing by leaps and bounds. In Acts chapter 2, you, you, you heard Peter's sermon. 3,000 people came out of darkness and into light. And they're all Jewish people, right? And so Judaism, the guys that are in charge of Judaism, are kind of looking at it going, hmm, I don't, I don't love that. Uh, this thing that we thought would die out when we killed this Jesus of Nazareth, it's not dying out. In fact, it's, it's growing in his apostles. They won't stop talking about him and they're convincing people. And then finally on this day, they, they go out in Acts chapter 3 and 4 and they heal a guy who's been lame for 40 years. Everybody knows this guy. He's the guy that sits at the beautiful gate and he's been asking for, um, he's been begging for money for 40 years. And so he's been sitting there and they heal him. And then he starts jumping up, shouting, praising God. And he's going through the temple and he's drawing all this attention to himself. And the, the Jewish leadership catches wind of it. And, and they imprison Peter and John and they beat them and they, tell, they threaten them. No more talking about this Jesus uh, or, or the persecution will get worse. And they release them and the, the Peter and John, they have this great um, moment where they go back to the church. And the church is like, we have now inherited all of Yahweh's enemies, all of God's enemies for all time. They, they are now our enemies. And it seems like a point of pride for them. They're, they're excited that they get to be aligned with God in this way. His enemies are now my enemies. If you hate Yahweh, you hate me. If you want to persecute Yahweh, if you want to stop this, this brand new movement that's happening in the world, this, this Christianity, if you want to stop that, you're going to try to persecute me. And, and they have aligned themselves with Yahweh in this way. And it's a beautiful thing for them. And they're excited. And so there are enemies outside the church that are trying to hurt her, that are trying to drag her down, right? I don't think those are the enemies that are the most dangerous. I don't think the Jewish aristocracy, I don't think the Jewish people are going to be the greatest enemy of the church. Although they are going to figure prominently throughout the book of Acts as they try to persecute, as they try to drag down the church, I don't think they're the greatest enemy. You're going to find Gentile rulers like, like Pontius Pilate, right? You remember him from Jesus' trial, of course. Um, King Herod. Uh, Agrippa II, all these guys are going to figure prominently throughout the book of Acts too, along with several other rulers, Felix and Festus. All these guys are, are Gentiles. And so they are going to try to persecute the church as well. They're going to try to, to drag her down, to convince people, to scare and threaten people to the extent that they give up on Jesus. And that's what these guys' job is seemingly in the book of Acts. That's how Satan uses them to do that. But I don't, I don't think they're the greatest enemy of the church. In fact, we've talked about this several times. As you go through the book of Acts, you'll see these enemies rise up. And you know what happens to every single one of them? They either are steamrolled like, like the Jews and like 
Felix and Herod and Agrippa all are, are just, they, they don't get to stand in the way of God's movement in this new, in this new ministry, this new movement that he's doing. They don't, they're not big enough to stand in the way. And so they just kind of get, they get run over. And then you also meet Saul, who is a Jew himself. And he's a Pharisee and he's very zealous and he wants to bring the fight to Christ. He wants to eradicate this new movement until he himself is converted and becomes its greatest proponent. And so you find all kinds of enemies of the first century church, but I don't think any of them are the most dangerous enemy. What's the most dangerous enemy of the church? I think it's half-hearted Christians. I think it's lukewarm Christians. I think it's people that are half-heartedly following Christ. And you get to meet the very first two here in Acts chapter 5. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And they stand for us as the testament of people who half-heartedly follow Jesus and how he deals with that. So let's, let's, let's get into our text this morning. So we're in, we're in Acts 5. Um, let's just start in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, why do they do this? Well, they did this because of what goes on in the previous chapter. There's a guy named Barnabas. That's not his real name. Barnabas means son of encouragement. His real name is Joseph, but he's got this moniker, this nickname, because he is such an encouraging guy. One of the reasons he's got this brand new nickname is because he goes out and he sells a piece of his property. And he's going to take all the proceeds, apparently, all the money uh, that he got from the sale of that land, and he's going to lay it down at the apostles' feet. They're going to have some problems in the first century church with money. Um, and so they don't have enough of it for as many people as are now in the church. And so they are trying to find ways to take care of all these brand new Christians. And so some of the more wealthy members of the Jerusalem church sell houses and property and they bring some or all of those proceeds to the apostles and they say, do what you think is right. Help, help take care of the church with these proceeds. And so that's what Joseph has done. That's what Barnabas has done. Can you imagine the accolades that this guy has gotten in the first century church? And so everyone must be saying, oh man, Joseph, that was just such... That's just such an encouragement to me. I was hurting so bad. I mean, I haven't gotten to eat, maybe. Um, I can't pay my bills, maybe. And, and now, thanks to your generosity, I've been afforded a little bit more time. And thanks to what the church is doing, uh, thanks to what God is doing through the church and through the apostles, life is not only possible now, it's good. And I've got a family, and, and you're a part of that. And, and I just appreciate so much how how we've banded together and we're living and thriving together. And there's all these outside forces that want to take us down. Everyone outside of us wants us to fail. Like, don't, don't miss that part. Um, if you're inside the church, at this point in Acts 5, you're Jewish. The church hasn't, hasn't been moved to the Gentile world yet. That's, gonna, that's coming. It's happening, obviously, we're, most of us are Gentiles. Uh, and so that happens in Acts chapter 10. And we'll get to that later on in, in our text uh, throughout the year. But uh, if you're in the church right now, you're Jewish. Um, and so if you're in the church, 
your family has disowned you. They've, they've separated from you. They don't, they don't really want to have anything to do with you anymore. They're done. Uh, you, you've turned your back on Yahweh's covenant. You're, you're no longer God's people. See, the ironic thing is the church is now God's people and, and the Jews are the ones who have turned their back on Yahweh and they're the ones who are no longer God's people. That, that's the ir- irony here. But that's not the way the Jewish people see it. And so they see their brothers, their fathers, their sisters, their cousins and nieces and nephews that have come to Christ. They see them as having turned their back on Yahweh's promises. And they don't, they don't need Yahweh anymore. They're, they're attached to, to the carpenter from Nazareth. And so they've, they've turned their backs on Yahweh. And so this, this family is, they've segregated now. They're, they're, they've, they've shunned the new Christians. And so you've got that aspect. This, the Jews want you to fail. And they're willing to eventually go to any cost to make that happen, to drag the church down. They're willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Of course, they're going to fail miserably. But even outside of Judaism, you've got the guys who don't normally care anything about religion. You've got the Gentile leaders and and the Gentiles themselves, the pagans, who don't usually care anything about religion. If you were to walk up to Agrippa II and talk to him about religion, you might get small talk out of them, but you're not going to get any definitive things. Same thing with Felix and Festus. These guys like to listen because it's in their best interest as rulers to know what's going on. But they don't really, they're not really interested. All the way up until now, when the church starts thriving in thousands and they're doing things and this movement is not dying. In fact, it's flourishing it captures, captures these, these Gentile rulers' attention. And so now they too want to drag the church down. And so you've got the Jews who want it to die. They've got the Gentiles who want it to die. And then the church is just here and realizing that everyone outside its walls, everyone outside of its, this new family that God has, has fashioned together and formed together wants them to die and wants them to, to not flourish. But the church is intent on doing what's right, right? We remember from Acts 2 that they had devoted themselves to, to certain principles, the apostles' teaching, to prayer, uh, to fellowship, right, to breaking the bread together. They had devoted themselves to these things, and so they are intent on righteousness. Joseph sees, Barnabas sees this need and says, I have more than I need. But they don't have enough. And so I take what I have and I give to them so that they can, so that they can thrive as well. It's an awfully difficult um, situation to be in when you are struggling physically. And so he sees that and wants them to thrive as well. And apparently he brings all the proceeds. And so people are shouting, rightly so, his praises, right? I guess Ananias and Sapphira see that and they say, well, we've got, we've got some land too and we want what Joseph has, has gotten. We want all that, that praise from the people. The problem is they're going to try to get one over on God and that never works. In Galatians uh, 6, uh, 
Paul reminds us that whatever you sow, that you also reap. These people are sowing unrighteousness and, and they're going to be condemned because of it. Keep reading though. Chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. <clears throat> but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So Ananias brings the proceeds from this land and he, he puts them in front of apparently Peter. Um, and so uh, he, he, he apparently portrays it as this is all the proceeds of the land. This is, this is what I was, this is the money I was given in, in exchange for my land. Here, you take it all, because remember, he, assumingly, he wants all the accolades. He and his wife Sapphira want all the praise that Joseph had gotten. If we read between the lines here, that, that seems to be what they're, what they're aiming at. This is why they did this thing. They're not doing it to help. They're not doing it because it's a sacrifice. They're not doing it out of love. That's why Joseph has done these things, because he wants to help. You see, fully devoted people of Christ are willing to sacrifice themselves, but half-hearted Christians aren't. They're, they're much more willing to sit back and watch everyone else do the work. There's no sacrifice. That's a problem, right? And so these guys, Ananias and Spira, just want, they just want the praise, but it doesn't come from a place of love. And so they, they mess it up. Um, they, they, they really throw a wrench into what God is trying to do here. And so Peter makes this, this logical assumption here. He says, listen, while you didn't have to sell this land. While, while it was, before it was sold, it was yours. You can do whatever you wanted to with it. We weren't, we weren't telling you, we weren't commanding you. God wasn't uh, demanding that you sell this land when before it was sold, it was yours. And then even after it was sold, all you had to do was come up and say, hey, this is some of the money that we wanted to give to the church, and, and God bless. Before you sold it, it was yours. After you sold it, you could have done whatever you wanted to with it. But now you've contrived this scene in which you're trying to test God. That's actually what he's going to say to, uh, to Ananias, or to Sapphira, excuse me, when his wife is going to come in in just a minute. After Ananias dies, his wife's going to come in. And that's the way Peter phrases this thought. Why have you and Ananias gotten together and you've, you're testing God? How in the world is this a test, right? That, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why? Why would Peter phrase it like that? Why does Peter look at this as them testing God? Well, they're trying to get one over on them. If man or woman can lie to God and him not know it, all the power that he's exhibited in these miracles are meaningless. If Ananias and Sapphira can say, this is the whole amount that our land was, was sold for, we want to give it to the church, and they've got the rest of the proceeds in their wallet, if they can lie to God, and that seems to be what, um, what they're trying to do here is, is get one over on them. We want all the praise, but we don't want any of the sacrifice. 
That, that's, that's, what they're, that's what they're trying to do here. And so Peter says, well, why are you trying to test God? See, at the heart of what's going on here is this idea that God won't know. That's kind of an incredible thought for first century Christians to claim because just one previous just one chapter previously this lame guy that they all knew had been able to walk and or hadn't been able to walk and now he can he, he's been completely healed and it's all because of the apostles teaching all because of their words right God has done this incredible thing what makes you think he can't see inside your heart why in the world Ananias and Sapphira didn't put two and two together or maybe they did and they just thought He's not powerful enough to see things inside of me. He's not powerful enough to see things that happen behind closed doors. He is. In fabulous fashion, he is. Listen to the rest of the text. In verse 5, When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon, came upon all who heard it. You're going to hear that phrase, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Again, after his wife, Sapphira, uh, dies. Verse 6, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and, and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And she's going to have a conversation with Peter too. But it's that, that, that three hours, you, you're going to want to underline that. Any time in the text you come across something that you think is odd, you need to underline that because he's trying to tell you something. And so what's he trying to tell us with this idea of three hours? Well, check it out. Sapphira lives in Jerusalem, which is not a big city, right? We would think of it as, as today as a smaller city. Uh, everybody knows everybody. And to make it even smaller, she's a member of the Jerusalem church. And so what might be 20,000 or 30,000 people now is, is down to five to 7,000 or so people. And they're constantly around each other. These guys are eating supper together. They're hanging out at each other's houses. Uh, they're living life together. These are intimate close friends and nobody's talked to her or seen her in three hours to tell her that her husband died think that's odd i think that's odd especially when you go back and, and think about everyone if they didn't know about what ananias and peter's interactions with each other had been would have been singing her praises just like they had been doing for Joseph Barnabas. Silence for three hours. You got to think something's up, right? And so, I don't know if Peter told everybody, hey, to the church, don't, don't talk to her. I don't know if God did this. I don't know if this is just providence. I don't, I don't understand everything that's going on here, but I, I think that three-hour... Um, bit is important, and I think that's what's going on here, is that we're supposed to see that, that nobody talked to her, and that was that is incredibly unusual, but it certainly gave her time to repent. Her and, her and Ananias had made this plan together, and for three hours she had the opportunity to rethink, to repent, and she chooses the opposite. Verse 8, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? There it is. Why have you agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? You're trying to get one over on God, but that's not how it works. It just, you can't do that. He sees inside of you. He knows your passion. And if it's not 100% on Him, it's not good enough. Half-hearted Christians are our worst enemy, our most dangerous enemy. Check out the rest of the text. In verse, uh, verse 9, Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down on his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came and they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And there, here's this phrase again, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's not just the church now that's hearing. It's not just the church now that's respecting God. Who else is it? It's these outsiders that we were talking about earlier who only want the demise of the church, who only want it to struggle, who only want it bad things for the church to happen, who want this movement to stop. Now even they are respecting the word of the Lord. Do you see the danger of half-hearted Christians? Because if, if we lack passion, if we lack devotion, the rest of the world's never going to hear, are they? Because we're not going to tell them, right? It's awfully hard to join an organization of people that are lackluster, isn't it? If nobody really cares, everybody's going, yeah, whatever, you know? That's not very attractive, is it? But if everyone, as we should be, is on the same page, following Christ, wholeheartedly devoted to Him, people want to be a part of that because God's doing something there. And I think God's doing something right here in our congregation. We've got too many good things going on where people from outside are hearing and, and coming, right? Hearts are open now, and, and it's phenomenal. We've just got to get on the same page and make sure we're wholeheartedly devoted to Him. No more of this half-hearted, lackluster, lukewarm stuff that we've been dealing with over the years. In verse 12, check out what happens in, in verse 12, because it just gets more interesting. In Acts 5, 12, he says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. This is a massive spot. Uh, it's like 150 feet long, it's, uh, several feet tall, uh, this is a very large spot. And in fact, it's where um, the crowd gathered last week to, to listen to the apostles talk after they had healed the lame men. And so there's, there's a big crowd there again, but it's just the apostles. The rest of the church isn't there. Check out verse 13. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So it's just the apostles. They're the only ones who are in Solomon's portico. And they're talking to this vast a group of people, these outsiders that want the demise of the church that are now listening, leaning in. These guys are interested because of the passion that they see in the first century church, because of the devotion that they see, because of the power that they see in the first century church. What's so interesting is this has happened previously but to the apostles themselves. 
in the, the passage that was read for you this, this morning um, by, by Jeff, um, Jesus is on, he's, he's in Peter's boat, right? Um, this is before Peter and the rest have, have uh, become his followers. They're, they're starting to lean in a little bit. Um, they're starting to listen a little bit. They're starting to become really interested. But they're not following yet. And so Jesus has asked to be in Peter's boat so that Peter could launch out into the, the sea for uh, a little ways, the lake a little ways, so that Jesus could teach. He teaches, and then uh, he looks over at Peter and says, Hey, Peter, cast, cast out your nets and you'll, you'll get a big catch of fish. <coughs> Peter's a fisherman, right? So Peter says, Listen, Lord. Anytime your sentence starts with listen, Lord, you might want to check yourself. But he says, Listen, Lord. Um, we've been fishing all night, as they do on the Sea of Galilee. This is, this is how you fish. You don't fish during the day. It's too hot. You go out at night and you fish. So he says, uh, listen, Lord, we, we've been fishing all night, but we haven't caught anything. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And he's he's kind of like, whatever. This, this, this is not going to work. But Peter lets down his nets, and he draws in this huge um, catch of fish. It's so great, he can't even draw it into the boat. And he has to pull in James and John and the other boat, and they, they carry it to the shore. And it's at this point that Peter falls down. You remember the reading in Luke 5. Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and says, Depart from me. Leave me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. And he acknowledges that he is Lord, that there's something special, that there's power here. All of a sudden, the familiar, familiarity that the apostles had had, that the disciples had had with Jesus was gone. Now there's, there's a distance between them, and it's a good distance. It's a respect of this power. He can do things no one else can do. And I need to listen to him. I need to lean in when he teaches. I need to follow passionately, devotedly, removing all obstacles. I need to follow. The exact same thing happens here when Ananias and Sapphira try to get one over on God, but God shows up and says, I'm, I'm not fooled. You didn't trick me. The trick's on, on you because your heart was never in the right place. The church all of a sudden has a healthy respect for God. Once they were maybe too familiar with him, he was... They were a family, and, and that's true, right? And they were intimate, and, and that's true. They, these guys were close, and that's true. And that's all because of God. That's his work in this church, and that's his work in every church uh, of his. He, he bands people together, and that's what we need to be. But there's this familiarity that is not good, this, this, this idea of Ananias and Sapphira that, oh, he's just like, some, he's just like one of us. We can trick him. You can't trick them. You're not going to get one over on them. You're not going to be able to lie to them. You may be able to lie to me, but you can't lie to him. Maybe you'll lie to the elders. You can't lie to him. He sees, he sees through every one of us, and he knows whether you're following devotedly, passionately, or he knows whether you're following half-heartedly, lukewarmly. And so today, maybe you're you're needing to be baptized, to have your, your sins washed away. Maybe this is the morning where you're thinking life changes here. Awesome. We would love to sit down and study the Bible with you to think about uh, salvation. 
That, that, would, that would be the, the best thing that we could do today. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you've already been baptized and you're just, you need prayers. And we want to pray with you and for you that you can be everything that God has called you to be. So that you can be pleasing to Him. So that we can do this, this movement. We can continue this, this powerful movement together inside of Christ. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Erin Thompson comes forward this morning. She says that she's, she's missing the connections uh, that she wants to have here. Um, they placed membership with us probably a year and a half ago or so. Uh, it have been awesome. Um, but the, the connections are, are tough to make. Friendships are hard to make. And accountability is a necessity for us to live lives that are pleasing to God. And, and uh, so that's, that's what she comes forward this morning um, desiring. And so we certainly want to to aid in that request. Gary, if you won't mind, I'll ask Gary, one of our shepherds here, to come up and ask a prayer for uh, for Aaron, um, that she can be all the things she wants to be and all the things that God wants her to be, as well as us surrounding her and encouraging her in this respect.
Bow with me. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you at this time just thankful that uh, we can talk to you in prayer. And Father, that you hear our prayers. And, and Father, we're thankful for Aaron and, and what she means to the church here at Rome. And, and Father, for a desire that, that uh, she has and, and the big heart that she has. And, and we're thankful for her and her family. We pray, God, that, uh, that you will bless her. We pray, Father, that uh, she will be able to, to do the things that, that she wants to do. And, Father, just to have that desire to, to be able to, to connect uh, with your brothers and sisters and, and to be able to get involved and in, in, in wanting to be involved, Father, it just, just so much as a, as a Christian. And, and we pray that you will help her, Father, to, uh, to do the things that uh, she wants to do. And Father, we pray that you help us all to, to get involved more and, and to be, want to be, be connected and, and to uh, do things with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Father, and, and set examples for our family, Father, that, uh, that our younger ones can, can see us wanting to have that desire. We pray that uh, you'll continue to bless this congregation, Father. Bless us as we try to serve you and, and set examples for others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you uh, decided to worship with us this morning. Uh, please take a moment to fill a visitor card in front of you and place it in one of the boxes in the back um, or hand it to the person next to you. We're so glad you decided to worship with us, though, this morning. Um, as a reminder, that Life Group 1, that's Rick's Life Group, will be meeting today for barbecue. Um, so that they will be meeting in the middle auditorium. Um, also, tonight, after evening services, there's a middle school and high school devotional at my house. Uh, breakfast is on menu for that. Pancakes, bacon, and sausage. It's always good to have breakfast for dinner, isn't it? It always tastes better. Um, also, all men, remember this Friday and Saturday is the men's retreat at 6 o'clock at Howell's Mill. So looking forward to everybody seeing, seeing everybody there. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. Please take a moment to sign your name so that way we can prepare and how much food to pre prepare for that event. Wednesday will be the last day to sign up for the men's retreat. Also, Young at Heart is next Tuesday. We're heading to Texas Roadhouse. Love to have you there. Um, it's so much fun. And then we're still needing a Bible Hour teacher for Sunday mornings. If you can help out with that, please see Connie or Jeremy. Um, also, this Tuesday, Ladies of Joy, uh, this Tuesday at 630 there will be a Bible bingo and Mexicans on the menu, and this is for all ladies. Ladies of Joy will meet here at the building uh, this Tuesday at 6.30. Sounds like a lot of fun. Um, remember to continue to keep the Jones family in your prayers. Mildred Jones' uh, sister passed away uh, last week, so keep that family in your prayers. And also keep the Witt family in your prayers. Elaine Witt's uh, brother passed away uh, uh, yesterday or last week, and um, 
keep that family in your prayers as well. And and the Witt family is going through a lot. The the daughter of the brother passed away a week before he passed away. So um, I know they're probably going through a tough time this moment. So keep them and your and them and your family in your prayers. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as he continues with his cancer treatments. Keep uh, Terry Leet, that's Gary Leet's brother. He's not doing well, um, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as well. Also, keep Amber Spitzer in your prayers as well as they continue with their cancer treatments. Uh, Jamie Estes, keep him in your prayers as well. He's at home now, um, uh, recovering at home, but uh, continue to keep him in your prayers. And I see a lot of our college students here this morning, which is great to see. I love, we miss y'all a lot, and it's good to hear your voices singing in this auditorium. We miss that as well, and uh, keep them in your prayers as they travel back home, uh, or not home, might as well be home, I guess, it feels like, but uh, keep, as they travel back to school, but it's so great to see y'all back here. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 755, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. We'll sing the first and third verse, and then Brother Chad Judge will have a prayer. <clears throat> When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound in time shall be no more, and the glory breaks eternal bright and fair. When the sacred birds shall gather over on the other shore, and the road is called a thunder, I'll be there. Father in heaven, we come to you now thanking you for the day that you've given us, this time that we've had this morning to, to come together to, to worship you and to sing praises to you and to, to study from your word. Father, we thank you for Chris and the message that he gave us this morning, that we will apply it to our lives, that we will go out and be, be Christian and be light in this community and wherever we go. Father, we do have so many that's on the prayer list that are dealing with medical issues and medical concerns and cancer and 
so many things that, that we pray that you will continue to be with them and be with the doctors that administer to them. Father, we do pray for the ones that have lost loved ones that you'll continue to be with them and they'll be in our prayers that you'll put your loving arms around them and strengthen and comfort them. Father, we do pray that what we've done here today is well-pleasing to you and is according to your will. We thank you for all that you do for us, and we especially thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.